Welcome to Pixel Pizza. Did she say pizza? Your ultimate source for chiptunes, video game talk, and pepperoni. Delivered to you from Los Angeles and into the digital cyberspace of the 2020s. Pizza power! That's right, when super giant pizza. I want a large, thick crust with double cheese, ham, pepperoni. Hey, where's my pizza? Pizza time. Welcome back to another installment of the Pixel Pizza Podcast. We are recording this November 9th, a Thursday. And you just listened to the track Defector from Akita Kita, our chiptune artist of the week. And now we are here, as always, with our interview portion of the show to introduce our guest guest. Uh, there is quite a lot to say. He is a BAFTA award-winning creative director, art director. Some of his highlighted work includes Return to Monkey Island, Nights and Bikes, and Tearaway Unfolded. And he has decided to come on this silly little podcast. <laughs> uh, so I'm very grateful. This is Rex Crowell. How are you doing, Rex? I'm great. Yeah. Yeah. Really good to be here. So glad. So when in your life did you decide you wanted to work in games, Rex? Um, well, I mean, it was kind of, it would have been unlikely um, for me to work in games initially um, because I hated computers. Wow. Um, I, yeah. Um, I, I grew up in a very rural area. Uh, like my parents were farmers, all my school friends, their parents were farmers. So we were all kids that just wanted to be outside. You know, we weren't really into um, like video games. Yeah, and I, I, I just had like no interest in it. Um, but like, as as time went by, um, I, I found that computers were kind of getting more interesting, like more visual. You know, I'm a very visual person, um, and I couldn't believe that I had to like be able to spell well you know, in order to use a, a computer back then, you know, you actually had to like type commands in and uh, just to get a game to run. Um, and also I, I I actually got ill and um, I didn't go to school for like a couple of years. And, oh. um, and that was a, that was a bit of a switch really where, you know, I went from like climbing trees to like being stuck indoors. And it was that at that point where um, I got a, um, a Commodore Amiga computer um and I was interested in, in like playing the games, but also just like, you know, actually unpicking them and trying to figure out how they were put together. Um, they weren't really, you know, I couldn't watch YouTube or, you know, find tutorials or, sure. or find out like how games are put together. But I dig around in like the file systems and like, you know, try and um, pull the artwork out and learn from it. Um, um, and I guess, yeah. yeah, I guess it was around that that kind of time that I, I started thinking, okay, you know, this could be, this, this, this could be something that I could really get into. Um, it, like it's, I think as a, as an artist, you're never quite sure 
you've got a skill, but you're not really sure how you're going to be able to apply it. Um, so everything at school is about, you know, getting a proper job, not about becoming an artist. Um, so, yeah, like the computers and games look like it could have been a way to get in. Um, but ultimately, I didn't I didn't think it was ever going to be possible. Um, I'd lived a long way away from like any anyone else that was making games. And um, it, it, even when I was at art college, um, I didn't think that that's how I would use my skills um, and I went into like doing web design and all of that kind of stuff um, and it was it was only through like making stuff in flash and getting into animation and um, like building sort of experimental experimental websites that, um, that I actually ended up in the games industry when um, a studio like saw saw the websites that I'd been making and and and, and brought me on board to initially make their website and then um and then start making games that's awesome what do you mean by experimental websites um i mean this was the era of flash where you know it's kind of the opposite of like useful websites with information you know it's like <laughs> like the the back button never worked on the browser because you'd be building like a whole sort of flash movie that would play um when you when you you know typed in the url um so i i made like some point and click adventure type things um i i was just trying to make trying to express myself um like in a web browser essentially like um pulling in like little animations i'd made and um coming up with like novel ways of um interacting with them and um building um like user interfaces that were kind of just very playful you know things that you could sort of poke around at and um and be surprised by and 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 uncover like you know extra characters and and more information um so yeah not not the kind of style that we often have now for for websites where it's very much like here's the text here's the, oh yeah you know the the, the web is is quite um uh it's it, it's quite tasteful at the moment it, <laughs> it definitely it definitely wasn't very tasteful back then it was just you know ev everyone was just trying to do everything they could uh within a web browser oh yeah it was it was the wild west mm. <laughs> so yeah from there like what were your early days in the industry like so, um, I mean, technically, like my first job kind of in the games industry was working for a um, a broadcast um, TV um, like network. Um, and they were experimenting with um, the, like the early days of interactive TV. Um, and, and it was quite it was a, it was a great way to start because I had to make one game a week. Oh wow! And we were just putting them out just constantly, and they were very simple games. They were just reskins of, um, yeah, classic classic games, um, like avoiding like legal issues. But you know, <laughs> it would be it would be like um, a kind of sort of a Pac Man, but has been reskinned. Um, and and often they were to do with like things that were happening in the um, in the news at the time, um, but. 
the the first proper job that I got the the one that um that really brought me into the industry was at Lionhead Studios mm. um with Peter Molyneux and um just an incredible um incredible team um I think to this day I just I'm just um astonished when I think back about all of the talent that was in that studio and um yeah I mean I I, I was just just bewildered that I'd ended up in the in the games industry because it wasn't really what I'd expected to do um and I kind of like sneaked in as this kind of web designer who had big ideas but um no real way to sort of express them at the time um and it was it was an incredibly creative um studio um this is before fable um mm. and some of the the larger games um well fable fable 2 fable 3 um there there were a lot of projects that were being worked on simultaneously um there's probably i can probably think of like half a dozen projects that were being worked on that never even got announced um a lot of other ones just never made it through to to being um released um wow. but just a lot of exper experimentation um a lot of like kind of new genres um people really like just experimenting um and by the time like fabled like sort of started to become a much bigger project and and gradually more and more people needed to get taken on to that project so um so a lot of those other smaller things um fell by the wayside but um it was it was just a really really creative um exciting space to be in at the time yeah that would be definitely sounds like uh, an amazing environment to sort of start your journey off with yeah yeah no it was, it was great and um you know peter was a, a big hero of of mine um mm -hmm. i read you know interviews with him um in some of the like amiga games magazines and um and then the pc ones um and he, he was a really um a really inspiring um character to work with um you know i mean he'd always throw you curveballs by you know he's he's known for going off and uh talking at e3 or somewhere and oh um, yeah <laughs> coming up with a bunch of features you've never heard of and then uh, you have to quickly uh, work on them um but uh yeah he he's just he he gets so excited about the the potential of games mm. and about ideas that um you know it's always hard for him to just like slightly sort of zip his mouth up <laughs> sure yeah uh yeah I mean that was something I was gonna ask later but I guess now's a good time is you know from the interviews I've read with you uh you you've had the opportunity to work with multiple of your uh childhood heroes uh Peter Molyneux and also Ron Gilbert with uh most recently uh what do you how do you sort of manage like that oh my god I'm starstruck versus uh, you know, this is a coworker. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I think things change very quickly as soon as you start working together, and you're just, you know, you're 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 kind of, you know, you're just peers really working together, um, trying to achieve the same things. Um, so although there's a little bit of um, kind of shock and awe when you start working together um it, it it soon becomes supernatural um i think probably it's 
it's almost more like when I was working with with Peter at Lionhead um because it was a physical space mm. um I guess the the kind of um the awe that you hold someone in like it's probably keeps going longer because you don't see them as often you know you've you've got a large a large building they're they're kind of you know sometimes they're in the studio but a lot of times they're they're off doing you know press tours or they're in a different part of the organization so you don't see them that often whereas it's a very different situation say working with ron on um on return to monkey island because that was all remote mm-hmm. you're just you're just kind of on a um constant like slack messages and zoom calls and what have you so and the team was very small as well so you know that you just all kind of yeah you, you get very used to it very quickly that makes sense i know a lot of people say you know don't meet your heroes but <laughs> um you know I've, I've done pretty well so far <laughs> yeah it seems like it uh so yeah then also when you're in more of that leadership role when you grew more to that point of being an artistic director and you're on a new project how do you sort of develop that clear vision for what the world is going to look like um mm, uh i mean it, it depends on the on the type of project um so generally <clears throat> excuse me um generally I like to think about why the game should exist um, like right from the start and it shouldn't be just like an art style that you're just applying onto something else. So like with Tearaway, um, that game was made to look entirely out of paper. Mm. It was made entirely out of paper because um, we were making a handheld game on the Vita which had all of these touch inputs and I wanted something to feel very tactile and very responsive and like almost and kind of a little bit fragile as well. So you're holding something very precious in your hands and it will really respond to it. So for, for that project, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that the the way it looked and the way that it felt and the way that, the, you know, the way that the gameplay would be. Um, well, basically just have a, a bunch of decisions that that kind of set a framework so that everyone on the team could you know get inspired by it um whether that's like level designers or musicians or audio team or they've all got something to respond to and it feels very natural um for something like monkey island that was a little bit different because i was i was hired onto that project um you know ron and dave and the rest of the team um they'd already decided you know well we're going to make a we're going to make the sequel we always wanted to make to return to monkey island or you know to monkey island and um and they they hired me on because of some artwork that i'd made in the past um that ron had always um really liked it was just a piece of throwaway fan art that i did like about 15 years ago and ron saw it and saved it and had it as his desktop wallpaper for a long time wow um so yeah it was it was weird to just get a call out of the blue and um you know be asked 
Um, well, I, you know, Ron didn't let slip that it was a sequel to Monkey Island, but um, he, he, you know, he got in touch to um, see if I wanted to, if I was free to work with him. That's and uh, yeah, yeah, it was, um, you know, I, I, I think I think it does it does pay off sometimes to to do some fan art and put it out there because you never know what's going right. to happen. Um, but for that particular project, it was a little bit different because, you know, Ron had a particular piece of artwork that I'd done that he he really liked. And, and I was, so a lot of that process was like figuring out, well, what is it that he likes about this? Um, and how can we, how can we create a, a, a style out of it because it was just a single character whereas I wanted to you know we needed to build an entire world and a whole range of characters so um it, it was it was trying to find some kind of some kind of core ethos behind that 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 visual look that would tie tie into the game in some way you know I don't want it to just be um a style that could be swapped out for and it have no actual bearing on the story mm. um and 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 kind of what i was thinking was return to monkey island is all about guybrush telling a story to his son and i was thinking if we do this in a slightly kind of picture book style it will bring a little of that that feeling of the fact that you know this is a parent like telling a tall tale to to their child um so you know it's not it's not like a super overt you know you don't see people as like paper cutouts like turning and being like two dimensional or anything but it's just it's just there in the in the kind of visual atmosphere of the game oh totally yeah it always the art style for that game struck out to me because yeah it felt like it was the story being retold it felt like uh to me I imagined it as like if Monkey Island were made today and they didn't have the restrictions of sprite art not to say sprite mm. art is not something that's made today and not worth it this is probably how it would look if it was brand new yeah yeah th I mean that's that's what I that's what I was aiming for. I, oh, I I'm think, glad. You know, yeah. I mean, the the hope was that um, by going for kind of quite bold silhouettes and spending a lot of time with the with the color palette and getting those right, that essentially a a player could sort of like slightly, you know, screw up their eyes and um, you know and see and see see what they saw in the original games but mm. in but in this in this new in this new look um and then when they you know sort of widen their eyes again they realize oh there's all this brushwork and all of this this extra detail but it's not at the level of detail that you sometimes get where um it feels like every asset has been created as if it's the only thing on screen which is something i always stress about with um particularly with 3d games but i feel mm -hmm. that we a lot of things are made and then they're put into like a collection and then when you as a player you walk into a room there's just there's just every single object is just as important as every other one you know and um there's just so much detail fighting and i prefer to 
look at scenes and screens in a more holistic way so that some of the things in the background are actually super simple you know because they're not important um and they they shouldn't be like you shouldn't be like looking at tiny details on something back there oh yeah I remember I, I took a film class in college and they were like you know you can't have too many things in the background you don't want to distract the viewer from what's immediately going on mm. exactly yeah, 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 and it was it was really interesting to to work on a to go back to working on a two D game where I, essentially the entire the entire game was kind of made in Photoshop. Um, mm -hmm. Where we do uh, myself and the rest of the art team, we would paint like a whole scene, and we'd have to like name and number and do various things to all the, the layers but then we'd just give that psd to a programmer who'd like press a button and it would all get imported into the game um so <clears throat> it, it was it was kind of a it was it was it was quite different from from how i've worked for a long time where you you know you you do some concept work in in photoshop but that's only the start of the process um, and then it goes through all of these different stages along the along the journey. Whereas this, it's just you know you you've done the concept art, and that's then that's the game. You know, you are walking mm. around in that painting. Wow! Yeah, I always yeah I had heard from I guess other artists or musicians in the industry that they had to like go in with the dev tools themselves and mm. uh, figure out how to implement it. So it's a unique, different approach. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, I think I I I do miss like having um like going into the dev tools um because I think sometimes you have you have little sort of happy accidents that happen mm -hmm. or you you get inspired by something or something doesn't quite work as you thought um you know, just just the, just having a three D camera can be interesting because you move something around and you're like, oh, that's interesting. I like how that's lining up. And then you completely reconfigure the entire scene or level just because of you know something that caught your eye. Um, whereas you know when you're working on the on a two D game and a two D canvas, then there's not as many opportunities you know it's like well the game looks exactly like it looked in photoshop but there's never going to be like that extra thing that you're like huh um that's that's not what i was expecting um i guess the only thing we we had like that on um return to monkey island was that we um we had parallax which was quite fun oh. to play with so um um the um the lead programmer david fox he um he added that ability sort of fairly early on in the game development and that was really fun to to play with because then you could do things of like having things that would reveal as as guy brush walked past or so it's a little bit more um um kind of in interaction between like the player and and what you what you've created as the scene and like some fun little jokes you could sneak in and like you know hidden characters and things like that that's exciting so one of the things uh i noticed and you did mention this a little bit earlier is sort of the mission statement you said for yourself on your website is you like to make experiences that are covered in the fingerprints of the team that made them and 
So for you as a member of the team, how do you sort of learn the sensibilities of your different team members and incorporate them into the game? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I think it, I think it really helps to spend, spend a lot of time with your, with your teammates. Um, like even on Return to Monkey Island, when we were all remotely working remotely, um, we did a lot of like socializing or just leaving like, um, leaving the microphones on so that we just hear each other while we're working and you just talk about stuff and, mm. you know, le learn about um, different, um, different team members, interests and um, <clears throat> passions. Um, we had um, on, on that particular game, one of the artists, Zoe, she, she just a, an absolute fountain of knowledge you know she's just she, it's like she just reads wikipedia every evening or something but um she she just knew so many details about things and that was it was really fun to try and give her tasks where she could dig a little deeper into the um into like historical details or things like that um i think there's um, I think it's important as well to um, look out for interesting things that other visual artists like bringing to the game that maybe aren't what you would do yourself, but really just try and take a step back and think, okay, yeah, that's that's actually that's a really smart solution. That's that's you know, you I think you've just got to be open to the fact that. You always want to be working with people that are better than you are so mm. and and to be and to be open to incorporate those those ideas and not and not be like you know feeling like it's showing you up you know it's you've got to be really um um you've got to sort of put your ego to one side and um and 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 really just take the best of everyone that you're working with oh totally yeah i feel like when i'm working with people who I see her really creative and really talented and more so than me. It just encourages me to work harder and uh, use more of that creative drive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, uh, one of your other projects more recently has been Nights and Bikes, which wasn't with uh, another company or with an existing IP. It was your own thing and it was a, a much smaller team how did that process differ yeah so nights and bikes was very very different um that was a project that myself and uh, my friend Mu Yu um we'd been thinking about for a while and it was during the era when kickstarter was probably maybe at its peak although you know there's still a lot of games being funded through kickstarter mm. um and we were kind of intrigued about this method. Um, we didn't necessarily want to make a game um, where we'd have to like jump through a bunch of hoops to like try and get publishers in, in interested. Um, I think probably most publishers, if we turned up and said, we want to make a game about two girls 
cycling around an obscure rural area in the UK called Cornwall mm -hmm. with lots of like local um, details and in jokes and things. I think most publishers would be like, nope, you know, not even going to take the meeting. So, um, but we felt that it, it, it was, um, it was a, a, a really fun, um, it had a lot of potential. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we, we took it to Kickstarter. Um, it was, it was quite a project in its own right to, to, to launch something on there. Um, a lot of effort had to go into, um, making a trailer, um, having all kinds of, um, backer rewards like figured out, um, and be like very incredibly like responsive to, um, to the campaign once it started, um, but it, it it went super well. Um, we 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 got all our funding that we needed and more. Um, but I think more than that, we just had a a, a great um, core team of like super fans who were really um, really vocal about their um, well about their excitement of the uh, for the game, um, and um, and they gave us knowing that they were out there and that they were waiting for the game um gave us a real um impetus to like mm. you know keep going you know because sometimes you know get making games is hard um things go wrong um or you just you know you're just working on some sometimes incredibly tedious tasks um for a long time or you know you can just completely get lost in the weeds um but knowing that every month we were going to send out like a, a sort of newsletter to all of our backers um, kind of gave us like the rhythm that we needed um, that, we, you know, you would normally have in a traditional like AAA game if you were doing milestones or something, you know, and you were having to like sort of present to the publisher. Um, but we could do it in a much more fun way because we, we would sort of, you know, we collate together all the stuff that we'd done in the last month and you know if it was getting towards the end of the month and we didn't really have any like cool new things to show off because we'd been doing some of the like really slow tedious jobs then it would give us a good excuse to like quickly switch onto some you know fun wacky stuff in order to have something to show um so yeah, I mean, it was a it was a really great process. Um, I mean, like all Kickstarters, it took a lot longer than we intended it to. Um, but I think it was worth spending the extra time um, to really sort of make the most of of what the game could be. Um, and like later in development, um, we actually partnered up with um, with Double Fine. Ah, um, so. So that meant I got to work with another of my heroes. Um, oh yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but they 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 helped us out with like sort of publishing and marketing stuff as well. Um, so and that that was really nice because you know there's just the two of us working on the game. Um, it it meant that we got a few more eyes on the game as well. Other people at Double Fine would be playing it and giving mm -hmm. us a few notes here and there and. Um, you know, just just more people to like discuss problems and like brainstorm solutions with. For sure, it sounds like you really had to look at the big picture 
more often with it than you would on other projects. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was, I think there's, there was just a lot of like jumping around in that. Um, say when I was directing Tearaway, um, I could be quite big picture, like most of the time, whereas Nights and Bikes, I had to be sort of big picture, but also, you know, those, those levels aren't going to just appear out of nowhere right. and all of that art isn't going to get made you know there wasn't anyone else on the team to make it so um so I was probably the most granular I've ever been on a game at the same time so, and it was a little bit hard sometimes to switch focus but um yeah sure and then speaking of Double Fine you were on Psychonauts too right uh kind of yeah okay just a tiny just a tiny bit yeah um yeah I just um I worked on the there's a opening video um it's like a microsoft um um like sting um right at the start of the game and oh, um yeah and it was it was really that was a really fun thing, thing to work on because it meant that um i got to collaborate with my old friend um scott campbell scott c um who's just the loveliest person on the planet anyway and uh, i love his artwork as well and um yeah so he he did he did the artwork and then i animated it um and that was it was a really great like palette cleanser after doing nights and bikes where you know i just had to paint everything animate everything build all these levels you know and so on it was really fun to just like actually look at someone else's artwork and just be able to use it without sort of I don't know it's nice to be able to sort of be slight take a slight step back and just and just have some fun for sure it was with tearaway i think that was the first game you were a lead on right mm -hmm. yeah uh, so what were some of the challenges of that i yeah i mean there, there a lot there were a lot of challenges um yeah I'm, I'm like trying to think of them all now um i mean it was the first time where i'd moved away from just doing visuals um well visuals and vibes i think you know because previously to that i'd um been very involved in i i came up with like how media molecule um presented itself like everything from like logos and branding and what have you to character design and all sorts um and then on um little big planet one and two um i'd been doing i directed the um the opening intro videos and um like the visual style of the the game that I, I sort of added the the kind of chaotic um pop culture element to the um to the art style mm -hmm. of those games um and also the some of the audio music choices as well um but i hadn't i was like very unproven on like gameplay or you know um like you know just just being the 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 kind of overall creative lead on a project um and and it was also quite tricky because we it was a project that we were we knew we were going to make on the playstation vita um but at that at that 
in the early stages it was just like a bunch of wires that you you were kind of scared to touch you know it was mm-hmm. we didn't have like a, a nice shiny final form of the vita until much later on in the project and um and it took it took a while to just like figure out like the direction of the of the project like how, what are we what are we going to make um we had lots of ideas um i think something i mean i was i was very keen to um to to create a lot of constraints um in what the game was um so that then people could get more creative with their ideas and it would like challenge them more so once taking the decision to make the game out of paper um that that became quite a like all the artists were excited about a world made out of paper but the game designers not so much (laughs) (laughs) because because they were like well you know how is either they would they would try and do they would try and do like classic gameplay things which didn't really make sense in a paper world so like you know a spike pit like oh you know, yeah like you might see in mario it's like well, it doesn't really make sense in a paper world you know it's like the well they're paper spikes you know do it i don't want it to just be like oh we've taken a classic game and we've remade it in a different art style you know i want it to to mean something and um and then they were trying to like wanted to add like abilities like fire you know the ability to like burn paper but it's like well in a world made entirely out of paper, that's going to be like a nuclear bomb going off. You know, it's like you, you're not you're not going to be able to control it. It's like the entire world is gone. So I didn't want to have anything that wasn't paper. Mm-hmm. And and this was causing quite a lot of problems. Um, but what really um, like fixed this this problem was um, like the the production team. Um, I think Siobhan is, well, still studio head. I think she probably suggested it first, um, was to get someone who designs pop-up books um, to come into the studio and to like do like a, um, a workshop with us and like teach us all how to make pop-up books. And, and that really like, that just like turned on like all the light bulbs over a you know all the designers heads because then they saw you know how you could like unfold unfold a single piece of paper and all of these like interactions could happen um whether that's like physical stuff of like you know like sort of boxes that are unfolding that you can jump around on or like tabs that you can pull and all of that stuff and you know and and that then became incredibly inspiring to everyone and and instead of um instead of having like a, a completely blank canvas where they everyone just made hundreds of different ideas but none of them really coalesced together um it, it you know it, it worked really well to just to pull everyone together so um yeah i think that that's definitely the thing i i learned most from that from that particular game is um is kind of try and try and create focused chaos basically that's great were there a lot of artists around the studio building things and paper in real life 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The really interesting thing as well is that, um, well, one of the reasons I wanted to to go with paper and to have paper that had no, like no mark making on it, you know, it, it didn't have any texture in other than just the raw paper is that it felt that that is something quite approachable for anyone to make. And when we started trying to make like paper, paper kits in the studio and like the whole team would like try and make stuff. Uh, we had like a little squirrel model and various people on the team, you know, they would, they would make the squirrels and and all the squirrels looked great. You know, it, it didn't matter like what discipline people were from, um, whether they were programmers, artists, um, audio, QA, you know, everyone was making squirrels and they all looked awesome. Uh -huh. But also they all, I could just tell a little bit of each person's personality in what they'd, what they'd made, you know, so like some of the, some of the programmers, you know, they, they, they theirs were like the most technically, you know, proficient you know they oh. were super super carefully cut out um you know the the if the if the model had eyes you know those eyes would be like perfectly cut out in you know, perfect circles and you know stuck on with like precision and then other people would sort of go a bit more free freestyle it and um yeah it was it was really really fun seeing seeing everyone like building stuff and and then um the um the engine programmer a guy an incredible uh, programmer creative guy called mark Dami, he would look at all of these models and like look at all the imperfections and then he would like factor those back into the game engine so that you know the the game versions would look like you know incredibly um well they they would take on all of the the properties of a real paper thing that's really cool and I think, yeah, that's on the podcast last week, I was speaking to a composer and he was also talking about how great art is, uh, has imperfections and that's what mm. makes it human and special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I am a big fan of imperfections. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I draw, whenever I draw something, I, I in my in my sketchbooks um people always say oh you never make any mistakes and it's like no that's all i can see are, are the <laughs> you know, are all the mistakes but i think the main thing is to just um is it's is just to like learn from them and just not to like hesitate and like change direction because you made a mistake it's just like just just go with it totally and uh speaking i guess of making mistakes one of the questions I had was, I mean, I guess this is a more traditional question than I usually try and go with, but I think for you, since, you know, you've had over 20 years of experience in the industry, what is something, a piece of advice that you would give yourself when you were just starting out? I mean, I, I guess, I mean, a lot of it is just, just, just keep going um just keep making stuff i mean it's the same advice i give to to anyone that's trying to get into the industry as well is that it's it's just so important to just just you know keep keep 
keep making, keep crafting stuff, learn, learn your craft, just in, enjoy what you're making. Um, and, and, and I think also keep making things that surprise yourself as well. And, um, you know, make, make sort of strange little experiments that you probably never show to anyone, but you, um, that, that, but you, but you learn so much from, from building each one. I like that. What is the thing you've made most in your career that surprised you the most? I guess on one level, I mean, just, just the fact I ended up working on a monkey Island is, is mm. the most surprising thing to me. I mean, if I'd gone back in a time machine and told, told like 12 year old me, um, I, well, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have believed it. Um, so that was, that was a surprising outcome. Um, I think in terms of what's I've actually made that surprised me the most. I mean, I, I, I think probably, probably tear away and just, just how far we took the paper, um, and just something that was a, a quick sort of quick silly idea just just really became something that everyone on the team like really really latched onto and and there'd be like you know just big big debates about you know paper and um you know it's, it 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 became very sort of abstract but very tangible as well just all the conversations that were going on around me and it was just weird to be just like in the center of this great big kind of vortex of bits mm -hmm. of paper flying around and everyone talking about and yeah that's really cool yeah I think media molecule of like all the game studios I know has one of the clearest philosophies of just we love making stuff and we want you to make stuff too yeah 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 exactly yeah, we used to yeah, we used to talk about it as like creative gaming, you know, just mm. the idea that you you play stuff but you get inspired to make stuff as well. And whether you whether you make stuff like in the game or whether you just go off and make your own games, um I think that's one of the things really that when we were talking earlier about how you know, I I always want the fingerprints of the team to be all over everything that I work totally. on um i think it's also to like it's not just for the team it's to inspire players as well and i think it's really cool if players can be they're they're like suspended in the fantasy of the game but also they can kind of see how the game is made mm. and they can like slightly poke and like peek behind the scenes and and sort of see the the pieces of string that are holding the planets up or the 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 kind of levers and pistons that are powering everything behind the um behind the facade and then you know that inspires them to go oh actually i could make this mm. um whether that's you know just making a little papercraft model themselves or actually going off and becoming a, a game developer for sure yeah, that was all the questions I had for you, Rex. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, no. awesome. Then let me ask 
This is the Pixel Pizza Podcast. Rex Crowell, where is your favorite pizza place? <laughs> um, my favorite pizza place. I think just making them at home. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I I, I love making pizzas. Yeah. What's your There's, recipe you know, like? Uh, pretty simple. Um, although I, I have gone through some experimental phases where like, I've just I've just tried to put way too many um, veggies on a on a pizza. Um, got very carried away at one point with like just mm-hmm. piling up loads and loads of broccoli. But um, yeah, no, I've 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 dialed it back now, and I just go for like a very simple margarita now. Oh yeah. Then thank you so much for joining me, Rex. Uh, where can people keep track of you and your work? Uh, you can find me on rexcrowell.com on the on the internet for people that still look at websites. And <laughs> um, I'm at Rexbox on like Twitter and Blue Sky and things like that. Awesome. Then we will head off with one more track from our chiptune artist of the week, Akita Kita. And that is called Sorry Doesn't Cut It Anymore. So hope you like that one. We'll see you next week with another brand new Pixel Pizza and signing off.